So we had the uh, Zach and Heather's wedding yesterday. A lot of you were there. You noticed that they're not here and some other parents aren't here and stuff like that. But that's really got me thinking about, you know, as I was studying to preach the wedding, it got me thinking about our relationships and not just the marriage relationship, but felt like God was just speaking a lot of things and showed me some new things about about relationship and really about human connection, about the relationships that we're supposed to have with each other. So you're going to get some of that. And if you were at the wedding yesterday, you heard a little bit of what I'm going to say, but it's different. So don't check out and think you heard it yesterday because this is different. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about human connection, that you were created for relationship. You were designed for community. God created us to connect with other humans. God created us to be in relationship with other people. You were never meant to be alone. You were never meant to be a loner. You were created for community. You were created to connect. You don't have to be with people every minute. Thank God. But you will never live a life of purpose alone. You won't. You can't. You can never walk out the call that God has on your life alone. So what are you saying, Dusty? I'm saying that I feel like sometimes we've gotten the wrong teaching. That we feel like it's all about getting a relationship with God, and that is number one. But God's not enough. Can you say that at church? Blasphemy. Hold on, I'm going to show you. You need people. Just you and God ain't enough. You got to have people. You can't tell me that you have a great relationship with God, but you don't like people. Because I would say then you don't have a great relationship with God. It doesn't work like that. You know, we sing songs like, You're all I want. You're all I ever needed. And, I mean, that's a great song, but actually, I don't know about y'all, but he's not all I want. God's not even all I've ever needed. I need other things, like oxygen, water, caffeine. I mean, really, if we can be real, we have other needs. It's a good song. I'm not trying to throw shade on that song or anything, but I'm just saying it's a lie. (laughs) I call it romantic truth. You know, romantic truth, it's like stuff that we mean, but we don't really mean like, I love you with all of my heart. Really? All of your heart. Every piece. There's no part of your heart that loves anything else but me. What about your cat and your mom and pizza? You said you loved all of those too. (laughs) It's a romantic truth. 
you don't love anything else with any other part of your heart, I'm pretty sure you do. We've been taught that if we have a good relationship with God, then that's all we need. And that wasn't even true before the fall. That wasn't even true before sin entered with Adam in the Garden of Eden where everything was perfect and no one had messed up and nobody had even made a mistake. God still wasn't even all that Adam needed. We're about to look at it. Adam had needs. I believe for you to ever get the human connection right, you need to realize that God is most important. Yes, God should be number one. God should be the most important thing in your life. The most important relationship is God. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear me wrong on that. God should be number one. Most important. But he's not all you need. In fact, he created you to need other things. Like I just told you, Adam needed food and water and oxygen, just like we do. So God created us to depend on creation, just to stay alive. And that's just talking about basic physical needs. So we have a need for God. We have a need for creation. But even that's not enough. Look at Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 18. An animal. So God's created everything. God created the heavens and the earth. He created trees and plants and animals. And he's, it's everything he's looking at, he's saying, it's good. Wow, look at these animals. It's good. Look at the trees and the plants. It's good. And the first time we have recorded, is what we're about to read in the Bible, that God looked at something and said, it's not good, is when God looked at Adam and saw that he was alone. Verse 18, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. You're not good alone. See, Adam had God. He had no sin. He had perfect relationship with God. And God still said, it's not good for him to be alone. He needs human connection. He needs relationship. And out of the ground... The Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. And he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to all the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. Think about that Blake Shelton song. You name the babies, I name the dogs. Adam got to name all the Adam got to name all the animals before God made Eve. Went ahead and got that all finished. Probably because if God would have created Eve first, it would have never got done. That would have been discussion about why are you gonna call it that? How are we gonna remember that? I wonder if God was giving Adam an object lesson because God says it's not good that man should dwell alone. And then God made him go and like name every single animal before he made Eve. Like that came in between there. I don't think that was a mistake. So maybe it was like supposed to be like getting the point across to Adam. Like, Adam, are you good? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. Okay, go name all the animals. Okay, well, I got two dogs, two elephants, 
one human. Two zebras. Two. God's like, all right, I'm going to put you to sleep. So we know the story without reading on down the next few verses. God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and God reached inside of Adam, and he pulled out a rib, and he made woman to come along beside man and to be his helpmate, to be his human, visible, tangible human connection. Verse 25 says, And they were both naked. Nothing was hidden. They could see everything. They knew all of each other. Nothing was hidden. The man and his wife. And they were not ashamed. See, sin always brings guilt and shame. But what I found interesting was, if you back up Genesis 1, 26, if you turn the page back to when God created Adam... We all know this story. God got down and he formed man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed the breath of life into Adam and Adam came alive. So we back up. Remember, this is before woman was created. Verse 26, and God said, let us, us, who's us? God is a community in and of himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man, this is when God created Adam, created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God created man in his own image. And in scripture we see that God is both male and female. And so God created Adam in his image, male and female. And then God looks at Adam the next chapter later and says, it's not good for man to dwell alone, so what we just talked about. He caused the deep sleep to fall on Adam and he pulled the female part out and said they're going to be separate. That's what makes the marriage covenant so powerful is when two people come together in a covenant under God, a woman and a man come together in covenant. It's so powerful because it's a picture of our God. It's that singleness coming back together in oneness. So God, who is both male and female, split his own image into two separate parts. And that is why a man and a woman are moved toward each other to reunite and become one flesh in the original image of God's wholeness. It's a powerful thing. In unity and in relationship, it is not good for man or that word man, it's not good for man to dwell alone. It's mankind. It's all of us. It's not good for any of us to be alone. A man, a woman, for mankind to dwell alone or to live alone. We're supposed to be connected in relationship. Look at Ephesians 1.18. Look what Paul said. Ephesians 1.18. 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Say, I want you, he's saying, I want you to understand this. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what the riches of glory, riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Hope throughout scripture is always tied to purpose. Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's the hope that God can receive glory. It's, it's tied to your purpose. And we say, God, give me hope. I've lost my hope. God, I feel hopeless in this situation. I'm hopeless. And God says, it's found in your purpose. Your hope is found in your purpose. And Christ in you is the hope of glory. So what we just read there in Ephesians 1.18, the very end is inheritance in the saints. It's found in the saints, in people, in God's people. God pours out his riches when we live in community. The economy of relationships. Some of you have never seen God's riches poured out in your life because you don't realize that God's economy is completely relational. I'm rich right now. Not money. Trust me. But God's economy is about relationships. Man, I got some friends and some relationships right now. I got some friends that dream so big, it makes me feel uncomfortable. It scares me how big they dream. You know what I do? Keep trying to hang out with them more because it makes me dream and it stretches my capacity. And I got some relationships right now. I got some people in my life that are so loyal. It makes me better. I, I'm rich in relationships. I have what I need. God's economy is not about having money stacked up in your bank account somewhere. It's about connecting to other humans. It's about being in relationship. Well, I just feel like an outsider. It's hard for me to fit in. We've probably all felt like that. It's really easy when we start to feel like an outsider. When we start to feel like, well, I don't have any connections or I don't fit in. And when we feel like that and we start thinking like that, then it just gets worse and worse. But the reality is we've probably all felt like that. Um, raise your hand if you have ever in your whole entire life felt like an outsider. Oh, look at that. Almost the whole entire room raised their hand. Just about everybody in here. So um, we're all outsiders. Pretty much 90-something percent of this room are outsiders, so the insiders must go to church somewhere else. 
right? So all the outsiders have gathered themselves together, right? Or do we assume that most humans have felt like an outsider at one point or another in their life? Most humans have felt like they can't connect. Yeah, that's it. It's not that all the insiders are somewhere else. I hope. And if not, that's okay too, because at least we're connected and gathered to other people like us. All humans feel disconnected at some point in life, at some time. So let me ask you a couple questions. If everybody in this church gave as much time as you, would the church be in a better place or a worse place? If every single person in this church was as financially committed as you are, would the church be in a better or a worse place? If we had a church full of you, would we change the world or would we close the doors? Would the lights be cut off by next month? Would, or would we change the world? Well, Pastor Dusty, I just want to go deep. I, I, we, when are we going to get into the deeper things? I'm not interested in coming up here and fellowshipping and playing ball on a Wednesday night. We need to be having theological discussions and, and more deep things. I've heard lots of people say things like that to me. We need to build our knowledge. And every time somebody says that they want to go deeper, they think that means knowledge. But the scripture tells us, and Jesus showed us, that there is nothing deeper or greater than oneness and unity, relationship. Y'all know Jesus' prayer? Not the Lord's prayer. See, a lot of times we say, if you say Jesus' prayer, people think, yeah, our Father, which art in heaven. No, that's the Lord's prayer. That was Jesus' example of how we should pray. But Jesus' prayer, I didn't give this to the, I didn't give this to the PowerPoint people. I wasn't planning on turning here. But John 17, 21 is Jesus' prayer. And what, what Jesus prayed, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, that the world I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may, that they may be one, even as we are one. You see, we want the glory. We want God, send your glory. God, let your glory fall on us. And what Jesus is saying there is oneness. That is the glory. Jesus' prayer was, God, that they would be one just like me and you are one. That they would come together like we are together. Just like you're in me and I'm in you. That they would display that kind of oneness. And then the world will see my glory. Through the unity. It's not through some miraculous 
miracle or work. It's through the oneness and through the unity and through the coming back together of God. The image of Him, we start to look like Him. When we connect the glory of God. The glory of God is unity, oneness. Spiritual maturity is measured in community. Spiritual maturity is made evident in the health of your relationships. If you want to check your spiritual maturity, and if you want to be more powerful, look around you. Tell me how you affect the other humans in your world. Spirituality is not about being alone on a mountaintop somewhere meditating. It's about getting your hands dirty. It's about healing the wounds of humanity. That's what Jesus did. We get the wrong idea of some, some monk up on top of a mountain somewhere is so spiritual because he sits up there and meditates and prays all the time but that's not even the example that Jesus gave us Jesus would just yeah he'd get away and pray and then boom he was back in it with his hands dirty healing people and touching lepers and and healing the sick and feeding the hungry and and befriending idiots doing all kind of he he was just living life and connecting to people and he had friends he went to funerals and weddings. He drank wine at weddings and he cried at funerals. He was involved with humanity. He was in relationship. He laughed and cried and danced. That's our example. That's what spirituality looks like. It's connection on the deepest level. That's what Jesus did. He could have come and sat on a mountain meditating and teaching. He could have written hundreds of books giving us all the knowledge of heaven, but instead, he walked among us. He chose to be part of the human condition so that through his death, he could be key to the human connection. Look at 1 Peter 2.5. Look what Peter had to say. After walking with Jesus and being in relationship with Jesus, being connected to a friend with Jesus, Peter said this, Ye also as lively stones or living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to, or for what? Offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ or because of Jesus Christ. He made a way. So this tells us that God is building something. God has a plan and a purpose and God is building something and you are living stones, Peter says. You're the building materials. You're what God wants to use to build this thing. You are the house. Know you not that you are the temple of the living God. You are his building materials. You are the stones. You're the bricks, if you will. You're the living stones. God is building something. 
Will you be a part of it? You're a brick. All in all, you're just a... You're a brick. But one brick isn't very powerful. One brick... You know, I started thinking when I was studying this and, and when I was writing it down, I started thinking about, well, what can you do with one brick? I, I've done a lot of things with the one brick. But none of them are really what it was in, in, intended for. Uh, you can use one brick for a boat anchor. You can use one brick to put behind your trailer tire so it doesn't roll away when you unhook it from your hitch. You can. There's a lot of bad things, destructive things that are done with one brick. Bust through a window or a windshield or break in a store. Or, I mean, you can pop somebody in the head with it. But one brick... So all those things I just named, they can be destructive, it can be harmful, it can be not really what it was created for, kind of awkward, not really fitting in. Wow, I just described some of our lives. What am I doing? Why do I feel awkward? Why am I not fitting in? Why? Because I'm not connecting. A brick that will be connected can be a powerful thing. When it's connected to thousands of other bricks, it can become a home. It can become a temple. It can become a giant wall. It can become something great to other bricks. If it's connected to other bricks with mortar. when they're used according to their purpose, what it was intended to be. Now, isn't it funny that we pray, maybe you've, you've prayed this before, God, use me. I've seen people in the church. My prayer is that God would use me. Dusty, I want God to use me. What can I do around here? I, I'm praying that God would use me. And then a lot of times, you know, a few months later, that person, they get upset and say, I just feel used. That's what you were praying for, wasn't it? I'm you. I'm quitting. I feel used. We want to be used by God. We need to connect. We need to be willing to be put into place with the mortar so number one you must be available but it's not just availability because after you've made yourself available you have to be willing to connect or Paul said like we being don't just gather but you must be assembled like a puzzle all gathered together in a box you can't see the picture until it's assembled Division destroys churches. A house divided cannot stand. But here's the problem. Here's where we miss it a lot of times. Unity starts with you. You see what I did there? Unity starts with you. See, we want unity to start with everybody around us. Well, I would connect. I would be unified, but my pastor is a dummy. 
I want unity in my marriage, but my wife needs to figure some things out first. I want unity on my job, but my, my new shift manager is dumb as a box of rocks. You think unity starts with everyone else around you. And it starts with you. And yeah, sometimes it's a fight to stay connected. People that have been in this church for a long period of time, they know it's not been easy. There have been ups and downs. There have been some offenses and there's been mistakes. There's been some good decisions and bad decisions. There's been some brawl for causes and camps and tournaments and challenges and relational issues and it's being connected to other people. It's not always easy, but it's worth it. So let me ask you a question, kind of like those first questions. If everyone in our church had your attitude and was willing to connect on the exact same way that you are, would our church be stronger or weaker? Don't point out problems. Be the solution. It's easy to point out problems. It's easy to look at someone else and say, oh, well, I would connect, but because of them, or I can't because of that person, or I... It's easy to look at somebody else rather than ask God what he would have you do. How can I connect? Because sometimes relationships hard. It's not easy to be in relationship with other people. If your spiritual journey is leading you away from people, it's not God. The closer you get to God, the more you will connect with people. And when you're hiding, or when you're not doing good, you disconnect. Think about it. Think about anybody that you've known. Think about yourself. When you're not doing good, you disconnect from people. You don't want to be around people that are going to call you out or hold you accountable. You kind of just disappear. You, any relationships that are deep or real or doing good, you, know, I don't, you avoid them. You, you get away from them. Jesus came to fix relationship. He came to fix relationship with God. Because through sin, we messed that up. Adam chose death. And so Jesus came to fix our relationship with God, but he also came to fix our relationship with each other. You can't have real relationship with people and no relationship with God because you don't know what real love is and you haven't been healed and you can't have real relationship with God and not people either one they don't work without each other it's both 
the closer you get to God, the more you'll connect with people. Jesus came to fix relationship. He saw our brokenness and he came to fix the problem from the inside out. The inside we were broken and he came to fix it from the inside out. He healed us so that we could heal the world. We can get our hands dirty. He was wounded so he could heal you. He died so we could live. And that we could be connected. That we could be powerful. That we could be in relationship with each other. I was going to go to 1 Corinthians, but I think we're good. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for speaking to us. God, thank you for being a real God that meets us where we are. God, thanks for even calling us out sometimes. When we're acting kind of immature, when we don't want to work something out, or when we're having a hard time letting go, or a hard time forgiving, God, I thank you that you shine a light on that and show us those areas where, where we're just being immature. Help us to grow up. God, thank you for making a way for us to be in relationship with you and with each other. God, we want to be strong. We want to be powerful. We want to be world changers. We want to leave a legacy. God, we love you. Thanks for teaching us. Thanks for growing us. Thank you for grace and mercy. No matter how many times we've messed up, that you love us and that you give us another chance. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.